Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So here we are in our second week of our worship series on tithing. And last week we explored the very first tithe that was given not because God commanded it or Moses wrote it in a big book, but instead it was a free will offering that came out of Abram's heart, a response to all the goodness that he had received, that he attributed to God, and so he gave to honor and glorify God. And today we're going to the book of Leviticus. Now many of you probably go, oh great, that's the last place I want to be in the Bible, because Leviticus is long. It's confusing. There's some weird stuff in there. Who doesn't love cotton blends? And for the most part, Christianity has emerged into a place that doesn't quite keep Leviticus the same way as our Judaic brothers and sisters do. Right? So Orthodox Jews are still commanded to follow all of Leviticus, except the things that deal with the temple, for the temple has been destroyed. And so they keep all of the other purity codes, all of the other laws are theirs. And so as Christians, oftentimes we, times we think to ourselves, well, what does any of that have to do with me? And unfortunately, we also live in a time and place where Christians like to go to Leviticus and use it to smack down other people. I don't ever believe that God meant for our Bible to be a blunt instrument with which to strike the heads in the hearts of people. Instead, I believe that God's word is to be an instrument of peace and wisdom, to convey God's love, and to help us to understand how we can grow in love to God and to one another. And so as I look at Leviticus, I want us to think about the ways in which God is trying to convey something about who we are. All of the commandments in Leviticus, or mitzvot, as they would be in Hebrew, all of them, all 613 of the Old Testament, all of those commandments, 613, not 10, 613 commandments, all of them are about growing in love and how we live as people who are called by God to be holy. And what does that look like? What does it mean to be made holy as God is holy? It means that we are intentional about honoring God and honoring the divine in every human being. If every person was created in the image of God, as the book of Genesis tells us, then every person has been endowed with some piece of God. And those of us who have been baptized received the Holy Spirit at our baptism. And so we truly do carry around a sacred portion of our Lord. And if we recognize that, then it is our duty to honor it in another. That I'm not just looking at a person or a problem, but instead I am looking at someone who was created by God and has a truly holy purpose. They may not realize it, they may not be fulfilling it, but that is who they were created to be. And so my response to them needs to reflect that knowledge. And Leviticus is telling us that our understanding of the holiness in others begins with how we love God. That our intention and in how we deal with God and honor and glorify God manifests itself in the world. 
if we don't pay careful attention and if we don't honor God in the right ways, then how are we ever going to be able to treat another human being with the dignity that they deserve? If we're unwilling to focus on the relationship between ourself and our Lord, then how can we ever cultivate a relationship that reflects the kingdom of God with another person? This is the time for us to stand on a firm foundation and to recognize that God is setting us up for success if we will tend to our relationship with God. That what begins and seems to be a very private relationship between ourselves and our Lord will in fact begin to overflow our lives. That we have to begin to let that richness that you receive from being in right relationship with our God become part of our relationship with others. It's not all about just me and God and tolerating all of you. Instead, it's about God is so good to me. I am so grateful for that, that I need to respond not only by loving God, but loving other people, right? This is what we train our children and our youth to do. We are trying to raise generations that will recognize that it's not a selfishness, but a selflessness that will change this world. And that instead of being the center of our universe, that Christ is the center. And Christ has sent us out into the world to bring others back to him. And so our scripture today is talking about what anybody might consider to be less than holy. Right? Most people don't consider money a holy thing. And in fact, if you catch it, our scripture isn't so much talking about money. Back in the early days, they didn't have money the likes of which we have. So the people of Israel of the time of Leviticus didn't walk around with purses filled with coin. Instead, they worked the land. They were usually one of two designations. The vast majority of people were either farmers or shepherds, right? A or B, these are your two choices. Are you excited? Those are your choices. Most of us don't work in any of those today, so that's not very exciting. Um, I'm very happy that nowadays the priesthood is more than butchery because I don't know that that's how I see myself serving God. And, I mean, I'm all about barbecue, the burnt offerings. So that's appealing. But the, the part before that, I'm not so into. So the fact that we have moved on to a money-based system, in some ways, is a good thing. But we have to go back to see how it worked in the beginning in order for us to appreciate what it should look like now in light of Jesus Christ. So it says that all ties of the land, anything that comes from the land, so this would be speaking to our agrarian workers, right? These are our farmers in ancient Israel. Anything, whether you've cultivated seeds or you've cultivated fruit, right? Anything that comes up from your work in the soil, that is your pay. That is what you would use to sustain your family. You would trade it in order to get livestock that you needed or other goods and services from the few craftsmen that existed. Whatever it was that you needed, this was the fruit of your labor, so if you had a vineyard, then you grew grapes. And those grapes were the fruit of your labor, right? This was your paycheck. And the scripture tells us that the first tenth, the tithe, 
the first tenth, that's what that meant, was God's, that God considered it holy. And so what you were supposed to do was, out of response for the fact that your field was fruitful and that you had actually yielded something for that back-breaking labor, you took that first tenth to the temple and you laid it on the altar and you offered it back to God. Thank you, God, for helping me out. And God would then continuously bless you because you had a heart of gratitude and you understood that you were part of a bigger picture. That it wasn't just because you were so awesome and had a green thumb, but instead you recognized the interconnectivity of life. That the rains had to fall, the minerals and the soil had to be rich, that your work had to be intentional and purposeful and fruitful. And so God was at work in all of that, and out of recognition and gratitude, you brought your offering to the altar. And But you'll notice there it says that if you wish to redeem any of your tithes, that they had to add one-fifth to them. This meant that if you wanted to keep the first 10% of your vineyard, that you could pay for it if you were rich enough. You could pay the value of that tenth and another 20% on top if you were going to pay in cash, which is antithetical to how we live now, right? Things are usually cheaper if you pay with cash. Instead, back then, it was the real fruit of your labor. And we see the same thing with the shepherds. It says at verse 32, all tithes of herd and flock. So we're talking about everything from cattle, sheep, goats. One-tenth that passes under the shepherd's staff. So every one out of ten, or ten percent of your entire flock, they were holy to the Lord. And you don't even have the right, according to Scripture, to decide if it's good or bad, nor can you substitute it, for those are the Lord's that God has blessed and given, that it wasn't all to be squandered, that by taking that and giving it back to the Lord in our offering, that God ensured that everyone would be blessed, not only by the meat that was provided upon the altar, but it took care of the temple, it took care of the priest, it gave a charitable balance to those who went without. And I find it very ironic that it says you're not to ask whether it's good or bad, right? That we don't really have the opportunity to reflect on whether or not this should be so. I don't think most of us like that idea. I'm a pro-critical thinker kind of person. I want you to think about it. But the truth is there are some things that aren't good or bad, they just are. Right? It's not that there's a moral decision on whether it's good or bad, but this is how it is. And so God is saying that whether you like it or not, the first of the flock are mine, says the Lord. The first are mine. And they come into my service, and I will use them to bless Israel as I see fit. And that's how they understood Leviticus. Well, since most of us aren't herders and shepherds anymore, how does that have anything to do with us? Our lives now, because most of us are paid in some variety of monetary compensation, are a combination of the two. We are both fruitful by endeavoring and investing, right? Farmers invest in the land through their labor and through their cultivation of the land. But we are also caretakers. We are caring for things and nurturing them along as shepherds do. We are people who invest in our education and our training. 
We invest in certification that makes us capable of doing our job. But we are also people who are over time striving to grow and get better. We are people who do this for our livelihood. And so it is that together now, in this day and age, God says to us, it's about recognizing that you are not the self-made man or woman. Instead, you are the culmination of endless hard work and labor, not only of God and the Holy Spirit in you, but through others for you. Think back across your lives, not only the parents and the guardians and the family and the caretakers who loved you and nurtured you and raised you, but think about those people who were pivotal in understanding who you are and what you could do and be today. I'm talking about teachers that shaped your life. I'm talking about neighbors and people in the community who opened our eyes not only to what could be for the community, but what we could be. Those people who were able to invest in us through relationship and it manifested itself in what we are today. And if you don't think God had a hand in that, I think you're in for a real big shock. That so much of what people say and do is driven from God. I've had atheists say things to me that could have come straight out of Scripture. And in that moment, I was convinced that it wasn't that they were talking to me, but God was talking to me. And when God speaks to you through a mouth that is not happy with God, it kind of takes you a second and you go, wait a second, this is both weird and inspiring. And yet, how many times in Scripture are unlikely vessels used to glorify God? Tax collectors, prostitutes. If God can use anything and redeem anything, then there are human vessels all over the world that are pouring out pieces of God. And it's our job to not just receive them, but to give God glory for that. You know, 9-11 is incredibly emotional for me. It's a time when I was in college. I was actually in my psychology class at Northern Virginia Community College that morning. And my father had gotten up at some awful hour with no daylight and had already left the household that morning when I got up and had gone into work like he did every other day to the Pentagon. And my father's office was in the south side of the Pentagon in the newly renovated wedge. And I don't know if you've ever been up to the Pentagon, but it is massive. There are as many people in the Pentagon on a given day as there were in both towers. It's huge. And often people don't realize that it is the largest business building where people gather for offices. And there it was that human hatred and frustration and ultimately sin manifested itself. And a plane crashed into it. And as my class started talking about it, my blood ran cold. And then my cell phone started to go off. And even though it was on vibrate, I could see my mother calling me over and over and over and over again. 
And finally, I excused myself, and I couldn't get a hold of my mother on my cell phone because everybody was on their cell phone in Northern Virginia at this time. I had to go find a payphone, and I got on the payphone, and she answered the phone, and before I could say anything, she said, the Pentagon's been hit, and it's the south side. And I said, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. And I drove home doing 80 miles per hour on a road that was 30, God forgive me. And I listened to the radio, to the news in Northern Virginia on the radio that told me that the Capitol had been hit, that there was a plane coming for the White House. It was mass anarchy that day. And they were already talking about the towers being hit. And when I got home, my mother was watching the towers collapse. And for five hours, we didn't know where my father was. For five hours hours we wondered and my father's handicapped he has a fusion in seven vertebrae in his spine he has atrophy in his left leg he wears a brace he cannot run he uses a cane and so I'm thinking if anybody couldn't make it out of that building it might just have been my father and when his boss called and said to him and said to my mother have you heard from Gary my mother lost it what do you mean how do you not know where he is and I thought, this may be the day that I lose my father. But instead, miraculously, five hours after all of this started, my father walks through the door. And he walks through the door because a good person saw him standing in line for a payphone in a line that was over a mile long and said, I'm going home, do you want to ride? And he got in that car, and a saint brought him back to his family. But we were lucky. We were blessed. Other people didn't have that homecoming. Other people didn't get to get down on their knees and thank God. Instead, they got down on their knees and they wailed and they mourned. And others stood up and they railed and they were angry. And they took that anger and they turned it out onto other people. And I understand that desire, that inclination to hold somebody accountable. Trust me, I get it. For five hours, it might have been me. But the difference is that the people that perpetuated 9-11 were sick and sad. And they no more spoke for an entire religion than Pat Robertson speaks for my Christianity. And so it is that I live every day recognizing that I was blessed. Every day I have been blessed. I woke up this morning and my father was in my house. And he will be here for 11 o'clock. I drive by a Pentagon that has been repaired and the fallen have been honored. And every day I get to live in a world where I have been empowered to bless other people. And it comes from the fact that I first and foremost have been blessed by God and I recognize it. And I recognize God in other people. And I am so thankful that there is no way I would withhold that gratitude. 
I don't care if it's my words, if it's the meditations of my heart, if it's the thoughts of my mind, if it's the way that I reach out with my hands and hold the hands of others, if it's the way I'm willing to take my feet and be in the presence of others who are suffering and mourning and to stand united with them or kneel in prayer with them. I recognize that there is nothing that I would not give that I have, not only to glorify my God, but to let someone else see how good God is. So I do tithe. I tithe because that first tenth of all that I do is not because I am so good, but it's because God has been so good to me endlessly, repetitively, constantly good to me. And if I can take 10% of what I have and let someone else discover this grace, I would give everything I have, everything I have, to make sure that others realize how good our God is. I believe that we are witnessing every time we say, I'm not going to buy this now. I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. Every time we think to ourselves, you know, I could have upgraded that computer. I could have upgraded my cell phone. We could have gone out to that dinner. There are things that, yes, brothers and sisters, we could be doing, and God knows our hearts want to do them. That doesn't make us evil, it makes us human. But instead, when we say, I'm going to honor the divine, we are letting the divine in us speak volumes. I told you last week that I am not going to demand that you tithe. And I'm not. I will reiterate to you that I believe that sermons will serve three purposes. They will cause us to look at ourselves and realize that now is the day. And this is the hour for us to change. They will cause us to prayerfully consider and discern who we are and what we should be doing. And the last is that they will plant a seed that will be nurtured within us. And when the time is right and God's will is to be done, it will come to fruition and we will respond accordingly. I believe that those are the three primary responses to Scripture. I'm not so arrogant as to believe that there aren't more, but those are the first three that come to my mind. And I do believe that God has blessed me and us and that we have the ability to bless others in the name of Jesus Christ. And they will say, why are you doing this? And our response will be, because God is good. All the time. And God is good. And if we are willing to do that, then hatred and vengeance and death and violence will begin to be transformed into peace and acceptance and security and knowing that needs will be met and that there are good people who don't hate recklessly and they don't sin endlessly. All of this is possible because we are here. And we are here because God has blessed us and called us to do likewise.
in the name of Jesus Christ. May this be the way we live and breathe and have our being with gratitude and giving this day and every day. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org to learn about ways you connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.